So welcome to this podcast in our series on Warm Peter, and a particular welcome uh, today to another of the bishops that I've met through the Lambeth uh, Conversations, Bishop Mary uh, from New York. Mary, it's lovely of you to join us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bishop Stephen. It's it's a delight to be here. Uh, Mary, tell me something about uh, your diocese uh, and uh, how long you've been there and about your own journey in ministry. Sure. Well, if I may, I'll start from the other end of that, which is to say that I've been ordained for almost 40 years, Mm. obviously first as a deacon, then as a priest. uh, And after 20 years of parish ministry, I became the canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Maryland, which is centered in the city of Baltimore. And then was elected Bishop Suffragan in the Diocese of Los Angeles on the West Coast, uh, an urban kind of oriented diocese, but with a lot of geographic reach. And for the last five and a half, closing in on six years, I've had the honor of being bishop assistant or assistant bishop in the Diocese of New York, which is... uh, obviously centered in New York City, but is really comprised of three of the five boroughs of New York City. So Staten Island, Manhattan, and the Bronx, and then seven upstate counties that comprise the southern Hudson River Valley. So you and I have both been in our present roles about the same time. I've been here just five years now, and I was a bishop in Sheffield in the north of England before but you've gone you went completely from the west coast to the east coast in your I did I did yeah and the actually uh in in many ways uh, especially culturally I think the west coast and the east coast of the United States have more in common than the broad uh mid section of the country they are also uh very different um You know, the West Coast of the United States is kind of oriented across the Pacific Ocean to Asia, Mm. to uh, China and Korea and Japan. Mm. And so you will find in um, colleges and uh, of the state of California, even a, a almost predominant population of Chinese and Japanese and Korean people. Uh, along with Spanish speakers, largely from Mexico. On the East Coast, and particularly in New York, our Spanish speakers are largely from Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. And uh, the East Coast of the United States is, I think, still oriented toward Europe. Towards Europe, yeah. And so that's kind of, uh, that's a very broad brushstroke on worldview. And how many churches and clergy would you have to make yeah, there are, there are uh, just under 200 congregations in the Diocese of New York and around 500 clergy. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that, that's about the size of an average English diocese, I would say, in terms mm-hmm. of congregations. Perhaps a few more clergy than than many English dioceses. And and we've been sharing together in a, a, a small group over the summer, which has been delightful. And one of the very powerful things for me has been listening to different bishops' stories from different places in the world about their journey through COVID. Obviously, we've seen 
New York, the situation in New York reported a lot on the news, particularly towards the beginning of the right. pandemic. But what's it been like for you? And well, for- yeah, I, for me, it was, uh, you know, almost immediately in the story of the worldwide pandemic, New York became an epicenter. So early on, it was it was a real crisis um, because people were the, the hospitals were kind of overloaded. If you yeah. live in New York City, you were hearing sirens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, there were uh, mobile uh, cooler trucks that were mobile morgues that stored bodies, and we these issues were complicated by the fact that the uh, COVID was even at that time, hitting populations of people of color more than white people. And so many of those were, uh, were immigrants or, or residents of uh, New York who, in, in, you know, in the way of the world, did not have the appropriate papers mm. to be residing legally. So out of fear of being deported, you know, people would bring a, a a loved one who was sick with COVID to a hospital, and and uh, you know it was tragic all around. But but basically, leave them there. And uh, there were well, well, there were you know when it came to burying bodies, there there weren't people you know coming up to claim those bodies, and people were dying at a rate that uh, even the funeral homes could not handle. You know, we've been through several waves and and right now, currently after 18 plus months of dealing with COVID, I would say that New York is in fairly good shape in the sense that there's a growing understanding that we all need to learn how to live with COVID. And and how how are the churches and the clergy now after 18 months of journeying through this many of the clergy are exhausted mm-hmm. um uh and i also think at the same time um we're we're experiencing just the beginning blossoming of seeds of of uh rebirth mm-hmm. of renewed energy and of hope for the future mm-hmm. that may be a little premature because there's still a lot of tired clergy but we've also had uh and I'm proud of every single one of our congregations in the Diocese of New York. We've had, um, for example, St. Luke's in the Bronx um, mm-hmm. had had 22 parishioners die of COVID. And they were largely, um, you know, a, a congregation of people of color um, mm-hmm. who were vulnerable to the virus um, early on. And yet they've, uh, the rector, uh, the Reverend Pierre-André Duver, um, has promoted consistently um, safety protocols for the church. They became a testing center early on and opened themselves to the neighborhood as a testing center. And then they became a center where you could go to receive the vaccination. Mm. They were a leader in promoting that movement in a community that um, was at least categorically, uh, perhaps stereotypically, known to be suspicious of, yeah, of the medical 
yeah. evidence. Mm. And uh, they were right out there leading the way in all the mm. positive ways that you could have hoped. And they were not alone. But I offer them as an example yeah, of what the yeah. church has done in the midst of this pandemic. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, that's well, and we've got similar um, uh, stories here, and some very uh, um, beautiful photography when the vaccine rollout started of cathedrals being mm-hmm. used as vaccination centres, which was really powerful. I think uh, as the church as a centre for healing and protection and prevention. Yes. So, yes. so we've had. Um, uh, uh, the experience of, of being in a group preparing for the Lambeth Conference next year and reading uh, 1 Peter. And as I've said on this uh, podcast before, I've, I've struggled to uh, love this particular epistle and I've really appreciated <laughs> reading right. it uh, with Me too. across the world. That's why I like you so much, Stephen. <laughs> but I'm, I think I'm kind of you know, getting to the to the good stuff now. I'm through. Uh, through some of that, um, but Mary, what what kind of things are you drawing from that reading of one Peter two, just or the whole letter, really, just to to strengthen the church in in such a difficult time? Well, uh, you and I talked briefly about the metaphor of being a living stone, mm. uh, which I find is one of the more powerful metaphors in the entire uh, letter. Um, so you know, come to him a living stone though rejected by mortals, sort of holding up for us the kind of countercultural stance of the church, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves, kind of a passive uh, inference, but let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I mean, that, that to me is one of the more workable metaphors as people, um, I, you know, I think in terms of building up the body of Christ, we're, as the result of the pandemic, we're learning of new ways of doing that, new ways of engaging evangelism, so that we've tried to um, finally, in the Episcopal Church, incorporate 21st century technology and and as you and I talked about just prior to the recording, you know, engage in hybrid events, or be they worship services or conventions or meetings. And I, I think that's going to result in growth and building up the body of Christ. That's just a conjecture and, and throwing a bit of a seed into the future. Um, so I find that particular metaphor of living stones helpful. Mm. Um, I uh, perhaps along with you, Stephen. I I struggle with some of the language and in the in the letter, and certainly some of the passages in the letter. I, mm. I think I said in our last meeting, you know, I I really resist going to uh, people, and not everyone in our diocese uh, experiences themselves as entitled. But but there are some, whether they know it or not. And I don't really want to go into any of our wealthier parishes and say, well, you know, you are a chosen people, uh, chosen by Christ and and inadvertently promote that sense of entitlement. Um, So I don't that's not language that uh, that I find helpful in the letter, certainly 
you know, wives accepting the authority of your husbands is is pretty uh, difficult. Slaves accepting the authority of your masters with all deference. That's just a non-starter in a diocese where we're really looking at reparations and racial yeah. reconciliation, dismantling white supremacy and dealing with the effects of colonialism. Mm, mm, mm. I mean, it's, it's so important, isn't it, to read into the context out of which the letter's coming, but also read it differently in different contexts exactly. today. I, I think your point about entitlement is is really, really interesting because my my understanding is the letter's written to those who are absolutely squashed down to, to right. lift them up, right. uh, and um, uh, if you if you say the words to those who already think too highly of themselves, it it, it reinforces all of that, and that's a different uh, message that, that's being heard. What's more difficult is is to say, you know, you need to become like aliens and exiles. Yeah. yeah. Now that'll preach to the entitled. Yes. But 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 it's hard to imagine. How do I make myself an alien and an exile to the culture against which I'm trying to stand apart? Yes, 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 yeah. And and I think one of my reflections uh, on all of that imagery, I think that's the imagery that I personally found the most challenging because I think because COVID has been a sort of disruption to all of our lives uh, in different ways. And I think the challenge to me has been to realise I've become too comfortable and at home, as it were, in the world. And I need to be, you know, living more intentionally as an alien and an exile against the culture. Mm. So, we, Mary, we don't know yet quite how we're going to gather next year, I don't think, do we? This virtual meeting is going on. It's been extremely worthwhile. But but assuming we are able to gather together, what, what are your hopes, uh, really, for the Lambeth Conference? We come together, you know, hundreds of us from all over the world, being Christians in different contexts. Stephen, it's such a great question. And uh, I hope, you know, when when uh, whenever we get together as a, a group in a in a, a church or other organization that has a, a clear kind of transparent hierarchy, one of my questions is, what can this group do that no other group can do? Mm-hmm. And so my, my, my question to the Lambeth Conference is, what can this gathering of Anglican bishops from around the world do mm-hmm. that, that nobody else can do? Not the province of Nigeria or the mm-hmm. province of the Episcopal Church or the province of this or the province of that, but what can we do together? And I would, I would hope that we could um, make a kind of definitive and, and maybe even action-oriented statement about climate change, mm-hmm. that we could perhaps address the inequalities in the world among people, um, economic inequalities between the rich and the poor, but there's still, I mean, we in the United States uh, deal with racial reconciliation, yeah. mostly in terms of our history of the sin of slavery, mm-hmm. which, with which this country was founded. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Great Britain was ahead of us in mm-hmm. attempting to dismantle slavery. But, um, you know, there is in the, in the globe, looking at the globe, there is a kind of racial 
divide mm. where lighter skinned people are either thought to be or assumed to be or or take on themselves uh, an air or uh, an identity of superiority and darker skinned people are thought to be inferior and that's not right mm. so what can we do is the anglican community mm. um i would hope that at some point lambeth would uh would take place in africa mm. Mm. or south america i know mm. there was sort of a, a movement around that in 2008 and yeah 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 you know but i but i would hope that we could be a little more um collaborative and mm. if if we're going to be a worldwide anglican communion mm. let's um let's claim the center as jesus the christ mm. and not lambeth england mm. um, to, to to say to the world we're, we're, let's meet at the north pole or the south pole or something you know let's let's make a visible statement that we are yeah. a worldwide community. yeah yeah, thanks, Mary. That's brilliant. And um, I really uh, hope that we do get to meet together. And I look forward to meeting you so in person and the others in our small group. But uh, I know our reading of One Peter together has been enriching for it for its own sake. And it's so good of you to take time out to share with our diocese a little bit of what you've been learning. Thank you. Well, thank you, Stephen. And if if there are bombs that go off after the airing of this podcast, please let me know. <laughs> I will. I will.